0: Only by looking at the past can we really come to understand what's likely to happen in the future. Let's get started. And they are going to win! Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix! Three cars going wheel to wheel as Perez is caught by Charles Leclerc. Seven time champion of the world yes so we are back episode 22 of f1 in review and not a lot has happened really when it comes to breaking news this time compared to the last episode and episode before that. Of course, no racing to review, but a lot to get, though. And we thought we'd start off by, I wouldn't say reviewing, but looking back at the Schumacher documentary, which was released onto Netflix uh, last week. Um, It's only me and Tristan this week, but of course we have both watched it. That's correct?
1: That is, Yeah, that's correct. Our thoughts. Our thoughts. What do we think?
0: I liked it. (laughs)
1: I... I know there will be those out there who have watched it, and if you haven't watched it, you should. It's 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 good in my opinion. But I know there are those out there that are slightly disappointed at the fact that they did and didn't include certain things. Mm. And it, I think what it is is there's a lot of build up around him getting into into Formula One and Schumacher's rise and his 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 talent and then they get to the point where he goes to ferrari and you know they show him getting his first championship and then they're like and then 2004 happens yeah. <laughs> and yeah. i was like oh okay we're, we're, we're <laughs> just skipping over the uh the other six then are we the other six yeah. um championships yeah. if you didn't know michael schumacher has seven if you don't know that then there you go. Um, 94, mm. 95, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003 and 2004. But I suppose they skipped that for a reason, Tom. I think they, they didn't want to get bogged down with the bit that everybody knows and everybody can just go back and and look at in, in the Ferrari times and actually wanted to focus on the rise of, of what would become a, a sort of legend in, in motorsport. It's very different in that regard than I think to something like the Senna documentary, which really does go through the the world championships until his his, his death mm. um, and of course, the last half an hour is is more dedicated to where Schumacher is, I think now and from the perspective of his family and when Mick was discussing the fact that he would love to tell his dad about what he's doing at the moment and the fact that he'd have a real be able to have a real conversation i i did feel a little bit teary actually and um yeah I, it's hard not to i know live live would have cried at that um mm. it's really sad and i know that there was a bit of annoyance that the schumacher family didn't tell us how he's doing but to be yeah. honest read between the lines and on this one mm. mm-hmm. it's not our place as the community to have a deep dive into Michael's needs, whatever they are nowadays, especially yep. after the skiing accident. And it's been a long time, so we know he's not good. So I, I think there needs to be a bit of a, a reality check and understand that the I think the whole like build up to his his world championship, his first one, is, is um, and then the the last bit, which is about where he is now and perhaps how the family are dealing with that. Bookend the documentary quite nicely. So, yep. did you did you think they were missing out anything, Tom, or do you think they they nailed the narrative?
0: I thought they did a pretty good job. I think it would have been quite boring if they did just did a sort of chronology of Michael Schumacher, uh, the racing driver. And as you say, I think there's a danger when it comes to these sort of documentaries that um, they make the people out to be like legends and gods and, you know, more than human, which I thought it was going to do at the start when there was that sort of voiceover saying, oh, Schumacher was just so consistent. It's like, okay, you know, we we, we get the, the idea that he's a pretty talented guy. He's won seven championships. But um, I think they really showed his human side well without just making it about him the person. They spoke about Schumacher, the racing driver, and then the human being, and but balanced it out insofar as they weren't like, you know, needlessly going into his private life, but um, showing there was a, cl- a clear distinction uh, between the two. And I think that's so important because as I say, Schumacher is human. Um, and he has many qualities, which I think many of the current racing drivers on Formula in Formula One have. Not saying that all of them are going to go on to win seven world championships, but he's he's painted as someone who's very driven, very, uh, at times reckless and stubborn. Uh, and these are things that you know work in his favourite in some aspects, but then also sort of go against him uh, in others. I thought that was very good, and in many ways it reminds me a bit of um, Max Verstappen the way he was uh, spoken about before uh, winning that Ferrari championship in uh, two thousand, I believe, about how he was very talented, but was he too sort of gung ho to um, become a world champion? Which I think many questions um, surround Verstappen. Uh, In that aspect. Um, I would have liked to have seen a bit more of the 94 and 95 championships. I personally think they were glossed over a bit and it was almost like, you know, hey, he was uh, at Jordan, then Benetton, then Ferrari came knocking and he won those championships and then he's at Mercedes, then that was that, but... In reality, I think you know the '94 and '95 ones were arguably, I think, from my understanding of it, more impressive than some of those at Ferrari. Because, granted, the Ferrari car at the start was quite um, average, shall we say, as the as the documentary says. But doing it in uh, that that Benetton car, which no one expects to win, I think, is in many ways more impressive in my in my personal opinion. But I mean. Personally, I was—I've never been a sort of Schumacher history nut, if you will—but I never had a clue that he didn't take part in F2. I didn't know he had—he got seventh in his first uh, qualifying appearance, and I had no idea he had such a rivalry with Senna, which is, you know, um, you know, poor on me. But um, I thought it was very good. It was great to see sort of. Um, uh, uh, other racing drivers get involved in the narrative in terms of um, Mika Hakkinen and uh, David Coulthard, yeah. two drivers I don't really know that much about until now. So I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, I'm pretty happy.
1: Yeah, it, that's a really interesting point, and I think the reason maybe they didn't focus on 1995 is because 1994 was so contentious. After all, mm. that's the infamous showdown between uh, Schumacher and, and Damon Hill. And I did enjoy seeing the parallels really between Schumacher and hill and verstappen and hamilton and i think i alluded to uh, in a previous podcast when we we're talking about the the hamilton verstappen crash that damon hill sounded a little bit uh distressed when he was talking about mm. that and and, bla- and said that verstappen might have taken him out on purpose and so that 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 anger maybe be still bubbling up from 1994 a while back then so that that was really interesting to see to see the showdown there of our modern lens but you're right about it. it's weird seeing Schumacher also fighting with Senna. I think the thing is, because this is before this for our time, yeah. we I see uh Senna as a as a more historic driver. Now for those out there who are old enough to know and remember watching Senna drive, I apologise. But I see him as a driver that existed before my time and I didn't really know much about. Schumacher, on the other hand, was part of pop culture growing up. He was the you know the mm-hmm. greatest Formula One driver. You know, I do remember him winning the 2004 um, World Championship. You know, that's within my memory. So you're right; it is weird seeing you have a have a showdown, but of course, it makes absolute sense that Schumacher had a rivalry with Senna. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting to see how Senna's death affected Schumacher because it it kind of brings home the mortality of yeah. the formula one driver and demonstrates really how dangerous it all is it's so bizarre seeing these cars flip and their heads are exposed the body work's coming off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're looking i'm looking at them thinking my goodness that you know the safety stands are horrendous and those engines as well core cool. The sound, yeah. the high revving, historic <laughs> V8s, and even you know, looking listening back to the V10s, and um, and the V12s, just they sound completely different. It's a whole new area. So, yeah, for me, it was a it's a pretty good documentary. It's quite long, you know, nearly two hours. But I heard that some people were saying it should be a mini series, and I kind of I kind of see where they're coming from. But yeah, I, I think I it would have been a lot to fit into a, a mini series, and everyone would have expected the last two, maybe three episodes mm-hmm. to be all about how Schumacher came back for his stint at Mercedes and how his job there was just to sort of, you know, test the car a bit and, yeah. and not be that fast. Because for Schumacher's last race was at Interlagos in 2012 and that remember was a Mm -hmm. two-way battle between vettel and alonso and so mercedes at that point weren't dominant and schumacher really wasn't doing a a whole lot it was a great race actually um but i I think there wouldn't have been that much content in that and there would have been an expectation for them to do a deep dive into schumacher's personal life which i don't think we would you know, I would have, I would have liked that much because you know, it's it's no, as much no. as we are nosy and we like to find out all the gossip. There is a there is a line in the sand, and I, I think, yeah, the way that the the family were talking about Schumacher, I think him in his, his you know how we knew him before his horrible accident, uh, I think he's probably gone. Mm.
0: Mm. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the the way they spoke about him made me think that, as you say he's 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 with us so to speak but he's not nearly you know the sort of the bright button that he was uh, previously which is so sad i mean not only for you know, what the insight we could get from Schumacher. I mean, imagine him being, let's say, a commentator or being a pundit, you know, on uh, on Sky F1 or any other channel. That would be awesome to see the insight that he has. You only have to go and watch other series or other sports to go and understand how useful a mind like that can be in terms of understanding the sport. And I think that would be really useful for us. But then, you know, it's not all about us. Imagine, you know, what Mick Schumacher could learn what he could use from his father, so to speak, the knowledge uh, to improve his racecraft. You know, not make the mistakes that his dad did, or you know, his dad helping him in terms of you know making sure he doesn't make those mistakes in the future. I mean, that's just an awesome amount of knowledge to have at your fingertips. And you know, Mick not having his his dad with him uh, as he was, and you know, knowing knowing the ability and the, and the 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 sort of love he has for the sport and for him and. It just not being the same just must be utterly awful. Just must be horrible. Yeah, I think so.
1: But it doesn't detract from the fact that it was an excellent documentary. If you haven't gone and watched yes, it yet, absolutely 100%. worth worth spending the couple of hours just to, to watch it and find out a little bit more about Schumacher and his rise into into Formula One. As you say, Tom, it's, it's got wealth of knowledge in there. And demonstrates that mm. not all the greats come from from the money,
0: let's say. Absolutely, yes, by all means. As I say, I learned so much from that documentary. And, um, well, if I can learn something, then I think everybody can. Um, so, yes, going now into the sort of modern day or future uh, of Formula One into 2022, while most of the seats have been confirmed for next season, there is one uh, seat left, the Alfa Romeo seats. Uh, at the moment, it's unclear who's going to be having that, whether it will be Giovanazzi or somebody else. And uh, as we said in multiple episodes uh, prior to this, Ferrari no longer have control of the second uh, Alfa Romeo uh, seat, and this could have you know seismic implications in terms of Giovinazzi's future and in terms of who has it moving forwards. Um, Tristan, what do you think? Where did your sort of money lie if you're a betting man in terms of who would be getting that second seat for uh, the next season? It's funny we we ended the last segment on not
1: all drivers come from money. Um, and we we seem to face plant our way straight into the Alfa Romeo seat. Uh, in in its contention, I suppose we have Mister Giovanazzi, uh, showing mm. down Yu Zhou for that final seat. And this is a bit of an odd one because Giovanazzi comes with with you know relatively good money and sponsorship, but nothing light (laughs) show who is said to come with 30 million dollars in a sponsorship deal and money talks the alfa romeo seat is really bizarre because although ferrari have a grasp over some of the direction of alfa romeo and have an influence over it the seat's not theirs to dictate and they can basically Mm -hmm. well they can they can be told to you know leave off if alfa romeo don't like what ferrari are saying in that regard and so I think maybe Zhou has got it. Um, as much as I like Giovinazzi, I think I think Guanyu Zhou is going to be offered the seat for 2022, which is a bit of a shame, really, mm. because Giovinazzi is such a character on the on the on the tarmac. He's I, I find him quite amusing. I, I, you know, of all the drivers, he's quite a mystery. I don't know that much about him. Absolutely, but, yeah, you know, there's he's called you know Italian Jesus. And uh, I kind of see mm. that um, when he was standing there in the in the sun, just before the last Grand Prix, they had the camera pointing up at him, and the uh, the sun rays were coming behind his hair, and it looked fantastic. I was like, "Wow, particularly godlike today." Uh, <laughs> there, Giovinazzi. <laughs> so apparently, though that that is that the money he brings and his ability to drive and do relatively well actually for the Alfa Romeo. A team isn't enough, and I think I think the Chinese-sponsored F1 driver is probably going to get the seat. What do you think, Tom?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. To be fair, and I think it's it's totally fair that they should choose somebody else aside from Giovinazzi. I think it was no secret really that the only reason that Giovinazzi was in the Alpha Romeo car was because he was a Ferrari Academy driver, still is, and. You know, he's he's fine. He he is a fine driver in terms of the sort of midfield. But I remember watching uh, Drive to Survive and being told how quick and fast and you know excellent he is. He's just prone to mistakes and. Either I have been watching close enough, or that's a huge exaggeration, because I've never really seen this quality that people say about Giovinazzi. I've never really understood why he was in the uh, Ferrari Academy, aside from the fact that he is Italian. I mean, if that's the only reason, then dearie me. But um, yeah, he's you know 27 years old. That's not old in a F1 driver term, but you know it's it's no spring chicken, is it? And he's only scored points once, and you know, granted. The Alfa Romeo car has not been the best this season. It's behind Williams, of course, currently in ninth place, and uh, Kimi Raikkonen hasn't made it work, so, sure, it's not a rocket ship. But, um,. Yeah, he's, he's done well in some qualifying results recently particularly, but um he's failed to sort of convert that into points and uh, for that reason, I think it's right for them to twist. I suppose the question next is who do they twist with and um, it seems that Nick De Vries, regardless of his uh, Formula E victory in terms of the championship, that's not enough to secure yourself a Formula 1 seat, particularly when you've got a driver in F2 who's currently second place in the championship and has a cool 30 million to plough into your car. Um, um, but yes, I think you know uh, Wenyu Zhou has shown his quality insofar that he's second, and also uh, part of the Alpine uh, Academy, along with uh, Christian Lungard, I believe, who's also um, in FT. So it's quite clear that he has the talent. I believe he did quite well last season as well in FT, although I'm sure our resident expert uh, Liv can go and confirm this in the uh, next episode. But yes, you know when when I look at this and I see how much money's behind him. My instant reaction is, oh dear, it's another Mazapin, it's another Stroll, it's somebody who's just getting into Formula 1 because they have more money than, let's say, talents. But looking at about how he's been doing, he may be a Perez, someone who has money to bring in for sure lots of it but also a good amount of talent and i think you know him being one of the only uh, drivers from asia at the moment and definitely the, the only one from uh, china of recent years as well um will bring in a lot more and i think you know as you're saying all the rumors say that it is his seat as soon as he gets the uh, the super license
1: yeah and that's really the thing holding him back at the moment is definitely the super license what do you think in terms of of potential revenue for formula one they, we know that they want to break into the Asian market, and China is hmm. well. It's not exactly a small player in the, uh, <laughs> uh, in the in the East. Hmm. So, do you think this is perhaps also just a play and deployed to get a bit more cash, just for the benefit of Formula One?
0: I honestly think it's a bit of a weird one when it comes to uh, China's interest in Formula One, or specifically the sort of Asian continent as a whole, if I'm gonna lump it into sort of one group, because yes, there's been the Chinese Grand Prix, and yes, there's been, uh, or still, is, should I say, the Japanese Grand Prix, uh, especially when there's sort of not a COVID pandemic going on, those two will return in their full glory. And they've been there for a while, they're very good circuits, they're always well attended, but it doesn't seem that in those two countries, as well as in india it's really taken off uh, as a sport you know famously force india was designed to get uh, the people of india involved in formula one in terms of interest mm. um so was the grand prix and that sort of didn't really take off there and it's not really taking off from my understanding in sort of asia more generally and in china but hey it's one of those where you know China is such a vast country; it's got so much money that ploughs into different sports. Let alone Formula One, we're seeing it in terms of uh, British football as well. So it seems that you'd be foolish not to try and sort of tap that market a bit more. And as I say, you know, Wan Yu seems to be somebody who's talented as well; he's earned it on merit very much in terms of uh, his Formula Two career at least. So um, I think it's probably a bit of both, like it's one of those where if he didn't have the money, he probably wouldn't be getting the seats. But then again, if he had no talent, he probably wouldn't be getting, you know, the seats either one would think, because I don't think Alfa Romeo are in such a situation where they're needing um, cash, cash like um, Hassar, for example. (laughs) So probably a blend of the two.
1: I know, but it's all a bit interesting really watching the amount of, of pay to drivers uh, into the sport. And Mm. maybe it's just because we're all paying more, more attention to the, where the the backstories of these drivers are because we love a I suppose a rags to riches story. We like the fact that Schumacher, for example, came from relatively humble beginnings. Lewis Hamilton as well came from yeah. from really nowhere. Definitely didn't come with money. And it's such a polar yeah, it's a poles apart from someone like Lance Stroll, who, let's face it, has never ever experienced living in a in in any poverty um, whatsoever. Yeah. And unfortunately that's just the well that is just the way of motor motor racing you have to have money to make money and you have to have even more money to be able to just spend it on driving around a track for for an hour and a half every two weeks and develop a car that's relatively competitive so it is i think for, for me i i, I want a, another kind of you know no nothingness driver who he doesn't have a lot of money to get into the sport and demonstrate how Anyone from anywhere can have supreme talent, and so it, it it makes me a little bit sad to to think that mm. yet another sponsored, you know, highly sponsored driver is is getting into the sport. And thirty million is a huge amount of money. Thirty Massive. million euros. I mean, yeah. Lewis Hamilton gets paid in the region about thirty million euros. So this person's, you know, this mm. Formula Two driver who has had four wins and eighteen podiums, well, is bringing in as as much money as there's how much one gets paid which is ridiculous when you compare well, it I is mean insane. so yeah I think you know it would be nice if Alfa Romeo was, was able to you know hand pick a, a, an exceptional Formula 2 driver or or even a, you know another Italian and bring back that sort of Italian in an Italian car and that's let's face it that's why Giovinazzi kind of got it because everyone hopes yeah, that yeah. He would kind of be like Charles Leclerc, and uh, would have <laughs> that sort of European heritage and, and get into the sport, um, but yeah, apparently not. Mm-hmm. So we live we yeah. live in hope, really. But unfortunately, that is the nature of Formula One. You know, it, you have to understand that the people that get into the sport very very rarely come from from nothing. Uh, they've all got yeah. wealthy backgrounds, and and well. Yeah, you know, that's that that's how it is, really. Um
0: didn't you go to yeah. school with George Russell? <laughs> For a few years, yes, I did, yep, that's yeah. That's correct. That's correct, yeah, yeah. Um he was only in junior school to be fair, I think. I knew him when I was like must have been nine or ten through to about twelve or thirteen. We weren't we weren't the best you know, we weren't like best buds before. Uh, yeah. Uh, he... <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm 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 so loaded. Me, <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> but um but I I think you're absolutely right there when you know you say that money is so integral to Formula One and you've got to get it in some capacity and I don't think that's you know not been the case when it comes to the sport but now there's just so much exposure when it comes to the the money that drivers make and the sponsors that they have for example you know if you dig deep for for a bit you're able to go and find who sponsors drivers like. Uh, Uh, Sergio Perez and other drivers like Max Verstappen you know all the information is out there which I think you know versus 10, 20, 30 years ago there just wasn't that volume of information that was public so it's one of those where it's probably always been like this but it's now just more out in the open which you can make a a judgement in terms of whether that's good or that's bad. I just find it more sort of interesting than anything else as to the different factors that are are at play when a driver is selected.
1: Yeah I mean it is interesting but as I say always 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 looking out for the underdog that we can perhaps mm. <laughs> root for in the in the background. I know mean, I really think it's tricky being an Italian driver. Or Brazilian. Yeah. Brazilian and Italian yeah. drivers. I do feel for them because they get into the sport and everyone goes, Oh, hello, there's an <laughs> Italian driver. He's gonna be amazing. And there's a Brazilian mm. driver. Cool. Is he gonna be a PK? Is he gonna be an Ayrton Senna? Yeah. Or is he gonna be a Rubens hello the, mm, or a Felipe Nasser or a yeah. Felipe Nasser yes I mean I <laughs> know guy. well I, I hear that um, Barrichello is mocked actually in Brazil quite a lot why? Um, I Why? That's so well horrible. I know but I, I, for, what, for what I gather it's because they, they say things like oh well he's just another Barrichello at like um, at, you know at, at, if they were to insult someone because it's sort of you know a number two never really oh, never really a winner yeah, okay. Um. We right. might describe them as a bit of a Bottas, <laughs> the original <laughs> Bottas. There is the is the Barrichello. So, I fi- uh, sorry yeah. sorry Barrichello, well, he <laughs> did actually he did do quite well. He did his job properly. But it's always difficult yeah. to be a number two driver. But it must be especially difficult to be a number two driver and be Brazilian or Italian because there's always that, you know, there's always going to be that overarching weight on your shoulder. Uh, everyone expects you to be really really good, but. You know, that that doesn't matter. I, I, also have a, I also found out something else today as well, which is the, the oh, yes. first ever Grand Prix was won by a Hungarian. It was the oh, okay. only right. Hungarian right. to compete in Formula One and win. Uh, they, they are separate wow, okay. things there to, to compete and win. So uh, the Hungarians have a fantastic... Uh, track record for for winning. So as long as no other Hungarians enter Formula One and and give it a go, that you know
0: Hungary's got a pretty good success rate actually. For um, yeah, yeah, nothing but net yeah, there. yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Oh wow. Okay, so uh, moving on to next weekend, we are going to Sochi, Russia for the Russian Grand Prix 2021. And in 2020, they qualified Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas, Perez, Ricardo, and finished uh, Bottas, Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez, Ricardo. So not a lot of moving around when it came to uh, the qualifying and race result there. And when I was doing a bit of research for this uh, said episode, I found out that not only was the Russian Grand Prix reintroduced in uh, 2014, but that only Mercedes drivers have won it since. Wow. That is a bit, you know, looking at this weekend, when you've got Max Verstappen with that three-place penalty after the crash at Monza, it kind of makes you think that it's highly likely, at least, I don't want to go and say definitely after looking at the uh, last few races, but it's highly likely that that's going to happen and maybe, you know, Mr Bottas could grab himself a small victory before he leaves he's quite good there though isn't Bottas he is yeah. he's won there twice I believe yeah, yeah. he's yeah.
1: He, he's he's quite good in Russia I mean Russia's not my uh, so Sochi isn't my favourite track uh, in Russia um, we are going actually from Sochi so they, obviously the 2021 will be in Sochi 2022 Russian Grand Prix will be in in Sochi but then 2023 we're moving to St. Petersburg I
0: didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So they wow.
1: are. They have decided that they will be going to a, a new a new track. This will be. I think it's called Igora Drive, Drive, um, which is uh, near Saint Petersburg. Mm-hmm. But Sochi, ah, it's not brilliant. If I'm totally honest, <laughs> no. And it's it's kind of difficult to put my finger on why. It, it's just a bit nothing. It, it, every corner is kind of sweeping and then there's jolty bits at the end of the straights. that that mean that you, you kind of have to do the overtake on the straight and if you don't get it done there then you have to back out because there's the barriers on either side and it's kind of like the original Abu Dhabi in the same way that the, the current Abu Dhabi mm. track as we know it is a bit boring because it never gives the opportunity for, for overtaking because it doesn't allow a continuous fight. Sochi kind of does the same thing. And if you, if you get a chance to take a look at the track profile, it has these long, sweeping, like, straight bits from turn 10 all the way down to turn 13 and then it's a right hand bend and then left hand bend and then then it does like a square and then Mm. it does this long sweeping bit again and anyway i i needn't go on because it it just looks a bit weird and it kind of again personifies Mm. the tracks that look like they should do great racing but in reality never allow drives uh, drivers to get alongside and have proper battles and yes there are there are moments of of interesting you know racing um especially when we had um the great Mercedes Ferrari chase a couple of years ago uh, you know there are always going to be these moments but to be honest it, it's not fantastic and I'm kind of looking forward to to moving off to Gore drive in 2023
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um I've got a bit of trivia for you here so okay uh listeners may have noticed I said the race was reintroduced uh, in 2014, it hadn't been at Sochi before. It was actually at St. Petersburg, but for 10 points, when was it last held in Russia? Okay, so it was
1: reintroduced in uh, 2014. 2014. I'm gonna go with 1985.
0: Oh, very close. 1914. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: They're very close blimey 19 yeah there's
0: literally 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 uh it was last won by a man called uh willie scholl he when... was german there's actually right. been two world wars in between that grand prix and 2014 which is pretty mad. wow I I had no idea. For some reason, I thought similar to you. I thought there must have been one in the eighties or nineties at least. But one hundred years between they raced in nineteen fourteen and two thousand fourteen. So a um, bit of trivia for your friends. It's not not all just uh, fun and laughs. It's a bit of education as well.
1: Yeah, that's that. I didn't. I did not know that quite clearly because um, I was <laughs> well. I was a mere seventy uh, well sixty nine years out. Hey. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy i mean that really predates well formula 1 as, mm. as as we sort of know it how lucky we are that we can travel up to russia and um, experience the sochi grand prix i really do hope that the next the next track is a bit better because it does look like someone just punched um the track and put a big dent in it if you see the outline of it um tra- mm. uh, turns 2 to 2 to 3 and 4 it's like someone punched it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I to be honest it, no. I I think Mercedes are looking relatively good for this for this. well, I say mm-hmm. that, but you know, I, I went into Monza saying, Oh yeah, it's a fast track and whatever, it, it'll be quite good for Mercedes, but who knows, it could be McLaren for all we know. Um my my hope is obviously going into this race, we've got Verstappen on a three grid yeah grid penalty. Yeah. So in an ideal world, I wanna see Hamilton and Paul, mm-hmm. followed by Norris. Yeah, yep, followed by Ricardo.
0: Okay.
1: Um, followed by Verstappen. Yep. Followed by Bottas. Followed by Perez. I'm about to say no love for Perez there, no. <laughs> no no no. That's 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 kind of my prediction. Um mm-hmm. but because I feel like Norris can perhaps extract a little bit more, it might well be um, you might have to swap Perez around. And I would like Perez to be up in the fight. That's one of my challenges for him a little bit is, is mm. because Bottas is so good at Sochi, he will really be able to help Hamilton out. <laughs> I'm so yeah. sorry, Bottas. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> yeah not it himself. Um, but he'll be, able, he'll be in a really good position to assist Mercedes and, and make sure that they're in a strong position. So Perez has got real challenge to make sure that he can assist his teammate. But of course, McLaren might well put your spanner in the works.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, with, uh, as you say, Ricardo, he um, could well be up there, and not only after that uh, win at Monza, but also he got fifth in the, the uh, Renault car last time he was here. So it shows that. Um, is a bit of a favourite for his, as well as Perez, you know, finishing fourth in what would have been the racing point car as well. Shows that, you know, they're not bogey circuits, uh, to, to put it that way. But um, unfortunately, yes, with that uh, three-place grid penalty, I can only see it being a Mercedes win. But um, hey, we've said that so many times, haven't we, in the past. And particularly this season, that's not happened for one reason or the other. I suppose the the big question is will there be a, will there be a red flag in this race because it seems that pretty much every race or every other race there seems to be a red flag and a hell of a prang that results in a the whole grid being shaken up. But um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this Grand Prix, and so far I'm looking forward to see how Mercedes do, because I feel that Mercedes are in quite a weird position at the moment where we don't know if they're actually uh, having a good season in of themselves, i.e. they're doing well, or more that um, other issues surrounding them, i.e. Um, people crashing out, people getting each other's way, is you know, clouding over what is a bit of a drop-off when it comes to Mercedes. Sure, they've got a very good car, but... I think this is the chance for Mercedes to really stamp down their authority and go we're back uh, we're here to win and we want to you know not only win the drivers championship for Hamilton but also the constructors and I think looking you know the history of that considering going even before 2014 two mercedes won this grand prix in russia so literally they have a hundred percent record uh mercedes-benz of winning grand Prix in russia this is the perfect time for them to go and uh show their quality i think well
1: i'm gonna be a bit more optimistic i think Verstappen's gonna be able to do something and uh, i hope mm. we'll have a bit of a fight a proper track track fight guys keep it clean yeah, uh, a nice clean race please but Ooh. you know, proper type of clean race where it's it's just wheel to wheel, a little bit of tire tire knocking. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if we can if we can avoid you know car on car mounting, that would be great, <laughs> guys. Just just you know just this time. We don't ask for much, you know. We don't. Uh... <laughs> and it's such
0: a close. It's such a close si- season. I I cannot call it. Absolutely. I mean, going into the season, I was feeling a bit you know pessimistic or deflated. I thought you know as I said in so many episodes prior oh it's just going to be like 2020 all over again it's going to be a battle for third place etc like it's going to be a a guaranteed Mercedes win in both categories and um, that is absolutely not the case so um, I hope I hope in many different ways that my other predictions uh, end up being quite wrong as they have been so far for example I think I said that Mick Schumacher could get a point which um, we all know is uh, highly unlikely but never say never never say never in this season And so ends episode 22 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much. For listening to me and Tristan ramble on about all the latest news and going ons in the world of Formula One. Racing is back, you'll be happy to hear, as we uh, just uh, talked about. We're in Sochi, Russia, and we're going to be watching that Grand Prix with uh, Max Verstappen having a three place grid penalty. So, regardless of whether he comes first or second in terms of qualifying, he'll be finishing much further down the track when it comes to at least the starting grid. So, until next time, we look forward to reviewing this race and hopefully it'll be just as good as monza until next time thank you very much for listening you know
1: i don't mean to worry you tom but yes. uh, predictions are rain
0: yes i actually saw that the paddock is currently underwater this is tuesday so um you know everyone <laughs> yes. just chill out but uh <laughs> by the time you hear this on friday it should be not underwater hopefully very dry hopefully drivable on you know